before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The All-Star has passed. It is officially basketball season, and we are headed to the home stretch of both the college and pro hoops regular seasons. BetOnline is the number one place to stop for all the odds, totals, and player performance props. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and get a 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, everybody, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is a Wired Up episode one. 109 here on the Take It Easy podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network and here on YouTube. Shout out to everyone joining us on YouTube here on this fine Sunday or Monday or I guess on YouTube Saturday night. And uh, we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. Wired Up for people who are new to the proceedings is week in review plus extra discussion. That was the original concept of Wired Up when we came up with it two plus years ago. It's crazy to say that two plus years ago now, 109 episodes, one a week-ish. That's uh, a hundred and wow, two years and two months. I guess we're two years and two months in on Wired Up. It's kind of weird to think about. And, uh, We've got ourselves another episode coming at you today. I, I don't normally do wired up type episodes after the season ends, or at least I try and find a bit of balance here. But I just wanted to throw on the microphones and record for some people on YouTube and, and talk about Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has piqued my interest here on this Saturday for about three or four reasons that I want to touch on. Um, Cause I find Lamar Jackson to be an incredibly fascinating quarterback and in an incredibly fascinating era of quarterbacks in the NFL. And just as a, a star face of this weird sports universe that as a child, I cared way too much about. And now I kind of find this nuance and perspective in life and trying to balance how much I love doing this job and, you know, wanting this to be a career and how much I value that and at what point you become happy. And this was something Lamar Jackson talked about on the shop that made me feel interested. But Lamar Jackson's one of the big, uh, you know, 10 to 15 major chess pieces. Uh, and really, if you want to take it further, one of the five biggest chess pieces that we find in the NFL, which is, of course, King Sport in this billion dollar economy that we all care about a little bit too much. Um, but Lamar Jackson went on the shop with LeBron James, which I do this every now and then where someone goes on this show and I find it incredibly fascinating and I want to talk about it. Like Patrick Mahomes did it two years ago. Tom Brady did it after the Super Bowl. Uh, they did an episode with Jason Sudeikis and Naomi Osaka that I found super fascinating. Like this show, it's interesting how they put this together because it is athletes talking in a semi-candid way. Like it's not 
super in-depth and revealing. It's just athletes doing podcasts. And in this case, like super famous athletes doing podcasts, they just broadcast it as a television show. But the thing that I find really fascinating about this idea of, you know, putting famous people in a room together and having them talk is that sometimes it's the only ways we get access to players in any kind of way. Like one of the things I crapped about the Manning cast for was that when the Manning cast would interview Russell Wilson, they wouldn't ask any real revealing questions about Russell Wilson. And this show didn't really do revealing questions about Lamar Jackson per se, but at the very least putting black athletes in a room with other black and Latino uh, athletes, uh, musicians in the case of Jay Balvin was there um, the name of the lady who stars in Abbott Elementary, I forgot her name, but she was really great on this episode. And Maverick Carter, LeBron James, Paul Rivera, all them who do the show. The, the thing I find fascinating is you get LeBron James and Lamar Jackson at least being slightly more candid the way that podcasts are when it's just a conversation between friends and not an interview, or at least conversation between people who are acquaintances. Um, which is why I like that podcast format where there's not really like an interviewee type. It's just kind of talking, not scripted. Um, that's my favorite is just talking with your friends and then putting it out as content or for myself talking to the, the little voice inside my head. But what brings it to Lamar Jackson, there's, there's about four things I find fascinating about Lamar Jackson that I want to touch on here. And the first thing I wanted to touch on was something he talked about with um, perspective in life where they were asking Lamar Jackson about whether or not winning a championship defines his career as success or failure. And Lamar had the perspective in the answer, and I, I don't have the direct quote with me, but um, to do my best, he said, it's also available on our YouTube channel if you want to find it, because I, I reposted it there. But Lamar Jackson said that it's not because he knows where he came from and the struggle he had to come from in the first place to get to this point. And the perspective on that is important because whenever life feels like it's a bit overwhelming, one of the things that's important is to have a grander perspective. It's not necessarily going to change the circumstances that you're in. If it's, you know, wavering faith in your life, or if you're going through a, a failure or, you know, some sort of massive change in your life or whatever it may be like perspective is one of the easy ways to get through difficult times. And so Lamar Jackson had that perspective where he's like, yes, the ultimate goal is to win a championship, but the process of going through that matters more than the results. Cause again, like in, uh, this is not what he was talking about, but in sports, like all of this is incredibly random. And when Lamar Jackson talks about where he comes from, like the, my instinctive thing is, Okay, he comes from low income South Florida. Lamar Jackson's dad and grandma died on the same day uh, when he was eight or nine years old. And Lamar Jackson is the guy who excels on the field. And then everyone tells him he's still not good enough. And so that's an easy motivator for someone when you're only a three star recruit in high school, despite the fact you're like putting the ball behind your back and flipping touchdowns and you can throw a ball 80 yards as a high schooler with a tiny football. Um, it, it's really interesting to see that and always being told also that you're a wide receiver, which this plays into some of the racial bias stuff with mobile quarterbacks as Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray's contracts come to define the offseason. While no question whether Josh Allen deserves 
258 million or no question if Dak Prescott gets 160 or no question if Aaron Rodgers gets a giant extension or Matthew Stafford getting 40 million dollars or Derek Carr getting 40 million dollars like all of that plays into this conversation about Deshaun uh, I'm sorry about uh Patrick Mahomes Deshaun Watson and Josh Allen signing gigantic contracts and Lamar Jackson deciding to wait it out. But bringing it back to the perspective side, like Lamar Jackson at 25 years old is still younger than Joe Burrow. Lamar Jackson is NFL MVP, 32nd pick in the draft. And this is one where teams take advantage of it. Like Louisville took advantage of the fact that Lamar Jackson happened to only be the 19th ranked quarterback in his class despite the fact that when he graduated, he was a Heisman Trophy winner, finished third in the Heisman Trophy his next season and got to the NFL and still was the 32nd pick in the draft. Like all, and by the way, in a sport where everyone overvalues the quarterback position, he was the one person that every single team ended up passing on. And Lamar Jackson having that perspective makes me feel good because I think Lamar Jackson's going to have a more valuable life is going to have a more balanced and happy life by having that perspective that the results will come, but the results don't define the person because then you're leaving yourself worth up to chance. And that seems like an incredibly difficult way to live your life, even as other people judge. And that was the other thing they talked about is that you don't need to find yourself in a place where you care what other people think like low tolerance for what other people think will be, I guess, a, a step to a more mentally stable life. It's hard to it's hard to describe that part. But Lamar Jackson comes from a place where he is South Florida kid who is going to Louisville, then the Baltimore Ravens, always a little bit lower than where he should have been. Fifth quarterback taken off the board, 19th quarterback in his high school class you know, slides through the ranks. Like these, this is the type of quarterback that Nick Saban spends his entire career looking for. This is the quarterback that every single team can sometimes jumpstart a dynasty. As we talk about Clemson, they jumpstarted a dynasty in college football by getting Deshaun Watson as a four-star who happened to be born near where he, where they were. And Deshaun Watson being born in Georgia goes to Clemson, wins a national championship. They pivot on that to get Trevor Lawrence and you two can build a six-year dynasty at a program that doesn't really care that much about football as this like diamond in the rough one lightning in a bottle Clemson dynasty. That's what Louisville could have captured if Bobby Petrino hadn't been a terrible coach. But anyways, Lamar Jackson is fascinating from that standpoint where Lamar Jackson always had that chip on his shoulder and by the way Lamar Jackson is able to to self-motivate in a way that is different than I think the average person does it or recognizes at 25 years old even I like to think that I self-motivate myself but I don't have the goal or the end game in mind to help push a little bit further it's kind of in a, a weird limbo as we record these podcasts and get ready to graduate college but don't necessarily have a concrete plan for where to go next in the future. And so this brings me to the, the second Lamar Jackson point that I find fascinating. First of all, the first one being perspective to recognize that wins and losses don't define the character. Um, the second part that I find fascinating is Lamar Jackson 
not signing his contract extension with the Baltimore Ravens because Lamar Jackson came from a place in 2019 where he wins MVP of the league. And in 2020, he's finally eligible for a contract extension. And we assume that Lamar Jackson would sign a contract extension because one, every quarterback when they have a chance signs a contract extension, but secondarily Lamar Jackson was Lamar Jackson was a quarterback who is, I guess we would qualify as more susceptible to injury because of his playing style is based on athleticism and what happens when Lamar Jackson isn't bigger, faster and stronger, or at least faster in this case than the most elite of elite athletes. Um, Obviously people talk about Cam Newton that way, or Josh Allen, when Josh Allen's not, bigger and stronger than everyone else. He probably won't be the same player, but at the same time, Lamar Jackson doesn't actually take as many hits as people would like to think. And the Ravens have a shit offensive line. Also, like the fact that the Ravens have had an apocalyptic hellscape of injuries. The last two seasons is part of why I think that Lamar Jackson has been the most overly scrutinized quarterback in the NFL over the past two seasons, but we'll get to that as part three. What's sticking on part two is that Lamar Jackson didn't sign his contract extension after his third season and isn't necessarily planning to sign his contract extension after year four. Like Lamar Jackson is willing to take on risk in order to get a larger contract extension. Cause this is the one weird case that I feel like we're not talking about enough where Lamar Jackson is not signing his extension because he wants to maximize his contract when his deal comes up. He's assuming that even if he gets injured, the Ravens are still going to pay him the maximum contract the same way the Cowboys paid Dak Prescott $40 million, even though Lamar Jackson right now could be worth $100 million per season on the open market. And Lamar Jackson, again, with no salary cap, he could make $100 million a year. And so Lamar Jackson is incredibly fascinating because he doesn't want to sign the extension now because he wants to take the risk that Kyler Murray is not risking. And I explained on Thursday, like, hell no, I'm not risking $150 million in exchange for 20 million or 30 million more possibly. It's just a risk reward calculus on that one. And so when it comes to Lamar Jackson, The part that I find incredibly fascinating is that he is willing to take that gamble because Lamar Jackson's floor, I suppose, in his calculation is that I'm going to get this contract no matter what. I can only gain money from here because even if I get hurt, I'm still guaranteed 40 to $45 million per season. And Credit to him for being willing to take the risk. Lamar Jackson, by the way, is also represented by his mother, I believe. So Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent. He just has a lawyer do the fees and negotiates his own contract. So Lamar Jackson negotiates his own deal and then has lawyers do the paperwork, which is actually an increasingly um, interesting trend that's gone on in sports. And this is a whole part of agents and business dealings where Agents usually take between one to two percent, and most people know Drew Rosenhaus or um, the guy in baseball, Scott Boris, who negotiate deals with players because they take less money 
on the front end. So players are more likely to sign with them because they offer lower percentages and agents get mad when other agents do this, because if you are offering less, that means I have to offer less to compete. It's the same thing that happened in that New York Liberty scandal, which is if we all collude, then we can make more money. But if one person is willing to offer less money to sign you as an agent, like you only have to give them 0.6% of your contract instead of 1%. Or in the case of the Liberty, if you're buying a private plane or a chartered flight, then everyone has to buy a chartered flight. But we don't want to pay chartered flights because that's expensive. We want to minimize costs. By colluding, you see how people end up when when you businesses collude, then they can increase their own profits. It benefits everyone to collude together to then exploit the labor. And so Lamar Jackson is doing this trend where lawyer fees are significantly less when they're gigantic contracts than they are for agents representing you. Because if Lamar Jackson's signing for $256 million, that's $2.56 million going to the agent when lawyer fees cost about maybe $100,000 or $200,000 to be able to process all of that information. And so Lamar Jackson is doing that trend also where he represents himself in contract extension talks, but he's also pretty secure in how much he's going to make because it's easy to tell what the market for a star quarterback is. We all know, like taking all the details out, we all know how much Lamar Jackson is worth. Lamar Jackson is worth about as much as Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson is worth about as much as Josh Allen. And so over six years or seven years, Lamar Jackson's going to make, you know, 280, 290, 300 million dollars. We all know that that's the market for Lamar Jackson. So it's easy enough for Lamar Jackson, who has an invested stake in this, to look at his contract talks and say, well, this is what I'm worth. I can negotiate this myself and just have a lawyer process the contract or read through the contract. It's a beneficial agreement on both sides in the same way that I talked about Kyler Murray risking potentially $100 million from injury. I'm sure Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson also have injury insurance at some point, like they're taking out $100,000 or $200,000 insurance on if they get injured then they'll get paid a bunch of money anyways. Like they're hedging their bets. But either way, Lamar Jackson is saying, I'm going to wait this out and maximize my value down the road because worst case scenario, I'm already guaranteed what I would have signed for last year. And that's just because the the values of these contracts go up. So I find it incredibly fascinating that Lamar's doing the calculation of, I don't want to sign that contract now because I'm willing to take on risk. And by the way, Lamar Jackson got hurt last year and still would make $45 million a year. So Lamar Jackson could have a public feud with the Ravens if the Ravens weren't in the good business strategy, but it's all very fascinating how that has played out for him if you can guarantee that deal. Because again, management is usually not on your side on that. But we all know Lamar Jackson is an elite, elite NFL quarterback, which brings me to point number three. Do we all know Lamar Jackson is an elite, elite NFL quarterback? Because like I said earlier, as a a precursor to this, 
Nobody has been more scrutinized over the past two seasons than Lamar Jackson. Of any NFL quarterback, nobody has gotten more shit undeserved or at least unfairly deserved than Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson in 2019, when he won MVP and he put up those ridiculous numbers that he was the leading passer in the NFL, most passing touchdowns in the NFL, one of the best touchdown to interception ratios and rushed for 1500 yards and had breakaway speed at the, in, in the, in the end zone. And the Ravens were literally unbeatable, literally unbeatable after they lost the first two or, or they lost the first game of the season to, or the second game of the season to the Browns. And then they lost to the chiefs. They went 12 and zero once they finally got everything together. 12 and 0 the rest of the season unbeatable or un literally they were unbeatable with Lamar Jackson leading the league in passing touchdowns and being the greatest dual threat rushing season in the history of the NFL. It was the first unanimous MVP in the history of the NFL and he did it at 23 years old and even I said at that point Lamar Jackson is amazing And I'm going to put him in tier two quarterbacks because I just need a larger sample size. Lamar Jackson at that point had played 25 NFL games, which is enough to figure out who a quarterback is. And Lamar Jackson was, you know, the best quarterback in the NFL at 23 years old in his age 24 season, Lamar Jackson, 2020 went through an apocalyptic hellscape of injuries to the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens were decimated by injuries during the COVID 2020 season. We don't talk about it a lot in that way, but they got decimated by injuries. And Lamar Jackson still almost single-handedly carried them with no receivers, like we complained all year, no wide receiver help for the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens have Hollywood Brown, who keeps dropping passes, and Boykin, And Mark Andrews is essentially their number one. They just need wide receivers desperately. With all of that going wrong in 2020, the Baltimore Ravens were still a top five team in the NFL. Made it to the divisional round of the playoffs. Beat the Titans in the first round of the playoffs, by the way. So single-handedly get to the second round of the playoffs. And Lamar Jackson throws a pick six in the end zone of a game where he was forced to run the ball on every single play. In the first half, all but one plays were a run play for the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens just ran the ball over and over and over because they could not throw. And Lamar Jackson is their number one running back. Lamar Jackson is their number one quarterback and their number one running back. He's a top two quarterback in the NFL and he's a top 10 running back in the NFL. And by the way, the hack to the system is that he's only making $1.6 million a year, which is why the Baltimore Ravens could have, should have, would have won a championship in 2019, if not for an incredibly unlucky game against the Tennessee Titans, just impeccably unlucky. And so Lamar Jackson gets the crap for not winning a playoff game when he's only been in the league for three years, but he beats the Titans with one of the best plays I've ever seen where Lamar Jackson is being blitzed. And he slips through a six-inch hole in the Titans' off a defensive line and goes for a 55-yard touchdown. 
that would ultimately be the difference in the game. They were they were down in the first half. The Titans couldn't score a lot on offense, but they were denying the Ravens because the Ravens couldn't throw the ball for shit. Lamar Jackson, 50-yard touchdown run. The Baltimore Ravens lose to the Bills. And if, if people want to say Josh Allen is better than Lamar Jackson because of one pick six Lamar Jackson threw against Josh Allen, because they have incredibly similar resumes. Like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson have impeccably similar resumes. They are quarterbacks two and three behind Patrick Mahomes. Sorry, Aaron Rodgers, also very good. Um, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, quarterbacks two and three behind Patrick Mahomes. And if you want to say that Josh Allen's better than Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson threw a pick six in a head-to-head playoff game in 2020, so be it. But I look at that and say Lamar Jackson is the second best quarterback in the NFL. That's what I walked away from that saying. And the next 10 years, we're going to be Mahomes versus Lamar. And now we call it Mahomes versus Josh Allen. But I look at the modern NFL and say there are just so many great quarterbacks that you're going to have not just a singular rivalry that defines the sport like Manning and Brady. Because Manning and Brady was created as a narrative out of necessity. There just weren't enough great quarterbacks in the NFL at that time. Between 2001 and 2004, it was just Brady and Manning and then the black guy, Michael Vick, who the NFL didn't market correctly because you can market Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning as your sport instead of Mike Vick versus Donovan McNabb, and you're going to appeal more to middle America. That was built out of necessity. Now, in 2020, there are so many good quarterbacks. But for some reason, that gives us an excuse to not look at Lamar Jackson and say that man is the great, is the best of the best in the sport. Lamar Jackson single-handedly, by being Lamar Jackson in 2020, made the Baltimore Ravens, who went through a hellscape of injuries and had no wide receivers, a top-five team. And so we get to 2021, Lamar Jackson didn't sign the contract extension. Baltimore Ravens start the season eight and three, but I'm sorry, eight and five. But if the Baltimore Ravens convert those two uh, two point conversions at the end of the game that everyone crapped on John Harbaugh for, they would have been 10 and three. Lamar Jackson could have gotten hurt. They would have won the AFC North. The Cincinnati Bengals never get to be the four seed going into the playoffs. The Bengals only existed this year and got in a position to succeed because Lamar Jackson got hurt. It's not a way to like crap on the Bengals. It's pointing out that, hey, the Baltimore Ravens had that division locked up. If Lamar Jackson doesn't get hurt in December because the Baltimore Ravens had a shit offensive line, their their offensive line was shit in 2020, then they traded Orlando Brown and tried to replace him with Alejandro Villanueva and it was you know, taking one of the best right tackles in the NFL and replacing him with one of the worst right tackles in the NFL, just altogether a bad move by the Baltimore Ravens, which is going to happen. Even the Ravens, who for 20 years were the silver standard or the bronze standard behind the New England Patriots, you know, Patriots, Steelers, and Ravens are the franchises we pointed to for 20 years and said that is the standard of stability. Even the Ravens are going to mess up some of these moves by, you know, trying to get rid of Orlando Brown and replacing him with Alejandro Villanueva. And that's ultimately going to lead to your star franchise quarterback having an ankle injury that ends their season. You're going to see Lamar Jackson 
the second he leaves, the Ravens lose four games in a row and miss the playoffs. Like they had no chance with 20, uh, 21% of their roster. This was according to, I forgot what website it was, but we played the game with Blake Jude back in December about who are the most injured teams in the NFL, like highest percentage of their salary cap on injured reserve. The Ravens were number one before, or sorry, they were number two before Lamar Jackson got hurt. And only the Detroit Lions were higher than the Baltimore Ravens in terms of percentage of their salary cap that went on IR. They lost like, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. I believe it was their top three running backs, their top tight end, their top two wide receivers, their starting left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, went out for season, who might be a Hall of Fame talent, Ronnie Stanley, lost their left guard, lost all of their starting corners. It was Marlon Humphrey got hurt. Marcus Peters tore his Achilles at the start of the year. Uh, they lost their starting safety. They lost uh, Calais Campbell in the middle of the season. They lost Derek Wolf in the middle of the season. I believe it was 16 of the 21 originally scheduled starters ended up getting hurt at some point in the season for the Baltimore Ravens and like missed more than one game. And so Baltimore just had their entire team wrecked by injuries and they still would have won the AFC North just by having Lamar Jackson. And if they convert those two coin toss two point conversions, they do win the AFC North. It was an incredible run of bad luck for the Baltimore Ravens. But here's the thing. Every single quarterback and every single team in the NFL experiences bad luck. The thing that we give Tom Brady everlasting credit for when I say that we don't appreciate greatness, except when it's Tom Brady, and then we overappreciate Tom Brady's greatness. The thing that's interesting about greatness in the NFL is that Tom Brady is universally regarded as greatest champion ever because Tom Brady simply had less gaff moments than anyone else in the history of the sport. Anyone else, but Tom Brady blew a 16 point lead in 2006, got destroyed this year by the Rams, and then almost had a ridiculous comeback. Uh, the year that they played the Titans in the playoffs, they got destroyed there. The, the Eagles won. He, he fumbles the football at the end of the game and they lose to Nick Foles in the greatest offensive line ever in a weird shootout. Like Belichick benched Malcolm Butler in that Super Bowl and then proceeded to give up 42 points. Like sometimes you make gaffes. Nobody's going to be perfect. And in this sport, you get to be wrong more than you get to be right. And so the Baltimore Ravens had so many unlucky moments that it feels like people hold unfairly against them. The Baltimore Ravens lose to the Bills in 2020. Okay, that was a coin toss game. One interception by Teron Johnson and poor tackling by the Ravens changes the entire game. The Ravens ran the ball all but one time in 2020 in the playoff game against the Bills. The Bills threw the ball all but one time in the first three quarters against the Ravens. Both teams just did what they did best when they got to the playoffs. And so the Ravens lose that game. The 2019 game, they had a 28-point swing because Mark Andrews had a pass go through his hands that got intercepted by Kevin Byard. If he catches that, the Ravens would have gone up 7-0. The next drive, they go for it on fourth and one, which they had a 95% conversion rate on during the entire season. Don't get it. Titans take over, already up 7-0. Next drive, fourth and one, go for it. 
don't convert. Titans get the ball, go down and score. Now they're down 14 nothing against Derrick Henry, who can just run the ball the entire time. If the Ravens have all of those things go their way, these coin toss moments, they're up 14 nothing against the Titans, and the Titans don't get to use Derrick Henry because Ryan Tannehill has to throw the ball all over the place. A Ravens win, they get to host the AFC Championship against the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Baltimore Ravens this year missed the playoffs, not just because Lamar Jackson missed the last five games of the season and 22% of their entire roster was on injured reserve, but because you do two coin flip, two-point conversions against the Steelers and against, was it the Rams? I can't remember if it was the Rams or the Steelers games, but you do two coin toss games that you lose that let the Steelers be a meaningless seven seed and the Bengals get to win the division because your defense was terrible and your quarterback got hurt. All those things had to go wrong and you lose a couple coin tosses or don't convert two yards and you miss the playoffs. And it seems incredibly unfair that we punish the Ravens and punish Lamar Jackson for that when everyone has those moments. The Bengals had that gaffe when Zach Taylor literally tried to call timeout on the interception that ended up sending them to the AFC championship game. The Kansas City Chiefs blew it up, and we haven't done to Patrick Mahomes or start to question Patrick Mahomes the way we question Lamar Jackson that way. Lamar Jackson is one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the NFL. If you want to nitpick him and Lamar uh, and Josh Allen, so be it. But this is something that was brought up in the interview, which was the racial bias of black quarterbacks in the NFL, especially with Lamar Jackson, because Lamar Jackson plays a more stereotypical black quarterback position. And this is what I mean by that. In the, in the, the shop explains it a little bit too. In the 70s and 80s and 90s, black quarterbacks were essentially not allowed to play in the NFL. It was only Randall Cunningham and Warren Moon that ended up breaking down the barriers. And by the way, Warren Moon in the 1980s, Hall of Fame quarterback, had to go play in Canada for five seasons before they would let him play in the NFL. And this was simply the belief that black quarterbacks are not as smart as white quarterbacks. And this is all racial eugenics and racial, you know, going back to 1800s Europe and justifications of uh, imperialism and justifications of overtaking other countries was science of race that was absolute nonsense. Race is a social construct, but also has real life implications after the fact. All of that still trickles down in a white power system to sports in the 1980s. And slowly but steadily, that gets to be broken down. And then Michael Vick enters the picture in 2001, wins the MVP in 2004. Michael Vick is the face of the NFL, not named Tom Brady, and not named Peyton Manning. As great as Warren Moon was as a Hall of Famer, Warren Moon was not the face of the NFL by any stretch of the imagination. Neither was Randall Cunningham or Doug Williams or whoever the quarterbacks you think of in the 80s and 90s are that were black quarterbacks dominating the NFL. The, the black faces that were advertised to the NFL were running backs and wide receivers and corners which are the stereotypically black positions in a sport that was becoming close to 78% black, which I believe it was 
two years, or I'm sorry, I think three or four years ago, it was either 78 or 72% black. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but we're also doing this live on YouTube, so I can't fact check myself. The point still being, this is a sport that then in the 2000s started to have those barriers broken down once they allowed black quarterbacks to essentially play in the NFL and realize there's a competitive advantage, just like integration did in the 1960s for all of these college and NFL teams is when you realize that once you stop excluding people from the sport, you have access to a larger talent pool. And yeah, maybe just maybe those black players are going to be better at the sport than the white players. And so this is where you get to the present day where that racial bias is starting to fade. It's not as evident as it is before. And it's more so the structural racism that's creating more problems than it is the overt racism of talent evaluators. Because as we talked about with Brian Flores stuff, the NFL is still a white power system. 90% of the people owning or running NFL teams are black. 96% are sorry, 90% of people in general manager positions in the NFL are white. Uh, I think it's like 85% after the last hiring cycle, because I believe there's seven non-white general managers now. But presidents of teams, I believe there's only two non-white presidents. Um, the, uh, the only non-white owners in the history of the NFL are Shad Khan and uh, Pegulias in the Buffalo Bills organization. And you have 90 5% of coaches now are non-white. You have three non-white head coach, well, four non-white head coaches in the NFL, including Mike McDaniel now. But Lovey Smith is, uh, is a head coach in title only for the Houston Texans. The point still stands, it's a white power structure in the NFL. You have 85% of teams are run by white people. All of the ownership is white people. And 90% to 95% of your head coaches are also white people. And so because of this, sometimes you fall into the same confirmation bias of the most qualified people are who look and think and act like we are, or they're the people we've always associated are the best people. And this plays into exactly Lamar Jackson's story. Lamar Jackson is the quarterback who is told by Bill Pulley and he needs to play wide receiver. When he's coming out of high school, he's told he needs to play wide receiver. He says, no, I'm playing quarterback and goes to Louisville because Bobby Petrino promises you will be a quarterback. You will only play quarterback for this team. And by the way, as a sophomore, wins the Heisman Trophy as a quarterback, and people are still saying he could go play wide receiver. He was asked to work out at the Combine as a wide receiver, and he said, hell no, I'm not going to work out as a wide receiver because I am a quarterback. And he won MVP in his second year. Again, everyone in the sport wants that guy. And nobody that, I mean, a few people, but nobody was looking at him and saying that guy is the best player to come out of his draft class. Nobody was saying it. And they probably should have been because every single team, including the Baltimore Ravens passed on Lamar Jackson. So something was incorrect in the talent evaluation or Lamar Jackson just got significantly better once he got to the NFL. And it's probably a combination of both, but I lean towards saying Lamar Jackson was essentially poorly evaluated by everyone in the sport. And in a sport that has more people doing the talent evaluation than there is a need for talent evaluation, 
how does that end up happening without a level of groupthink? And I think the groupthink thing did end up playing against Lamar Jackson is that, well, this person stereotypically is not a great quarterback, despite the fact that he won a Heisman Trophy in college. But Troy Smith won a Heisman Trophy in college, and he didn't translate at all in the NFL. So maybe he's another Troy Smith or he's a Braxton Miller who we can convert to wide receiver. And that ended up leading to Lamar Jackson falling in the draft, even though Lamar Jackson should have been a top 15 pick. I remember doing a mock draft that year when I was in high school and having him go 15th to the Arizona Cardinals and Lamar Jackson falling all the way to 32 was shocking, even for a lot of talent evaluators, because 32 is usually where second and third round graded quarterbacks fall. And this has been an interesting thing that's happened in the NFL over the past 10 years is that as the sport now is more has more black quarterbacks than white quarterbacks for the first time in the history of the sport, like in a 75% black league, for the first time you have more black quarterbacks than white quarterbacks starting in the NFL because the backups are still white guys for the most part. It's it's again a race thing of the white the, the the white quarterback who's a backup is essentially a coach. Like the backup quarterback who only plays when someone gets hurt and not like a platoon quarterback situation is essentially like a coach and coaching ranks still go to white people and so Matt Schaub can hang around for 16 years in the NFL or Chase Daniel can make $32 million as a backup, or Josh McCown almost gets the head coaching job with the Texans for being a white backup. But among starting caliber quarterbacks, like the 16 quarterbacks that are actually starting level good in the NFL, for the first time ever, you have more black quarterbacks than you do white. It's about 50-50 right now. You could go down the line, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, um, uh, I'm forgetting a couple people down the line there, but then you get to like your Derek Carrs, your Matt, your Matt Ryan's, your Matthew Stafford's, your Kirk Cousins, guys like that. And so you see, oh, sorry, I forgot about Deshaun Watson too. Deshaun Watson's in this mix also. And so because of the ten elite quarterbacks, six of them are black. You're seeing a change in the way that we do talent evaluation in the sport, and yet still Lamar Jackson was someone who fell complicit to racial bias to racial bias on the on the decision making side more than the structural integrity this is more people haven't changed the way they've done talent evaluation and groupthink told people that historically Lamar Jackson is not an elite quarterback when instead you have the foresight to say Lamar Jackson can be an elite quarterback or at least could be better than a second or third round pick Russell Wilson was taken in the third round for similar reasons not just being a biracial quarterback, but also being a short quarterback. So Russell Wilson breaks both of the trends. Kyler Murray ends up finally getting taken number one, but now they don't want to give him a contract extension. When I think Kyler Murray is one of the eight best quarterbacks in the NFL and one of these special quarterbacks. And then you have Patrick Mahomes get drafted with the 10th pick, et cetera, et cetera, down the line, it's slowly starting to fade as a new generation of people enter the NFL who have the precedent for this. The sport will evolve. Sometimes change just takes longer than we think to. And this was something that they talked about in the interview, which, by the way, Lamar Jackson calling out Adam Schefter after the fact was very good on this. And you're starting to see some of the same structural racism in media as they talk about this Lamar Jackson quote, where they're explaining how um, 
in the NFL, every the the essentially stripping it bare is that the for 50, 60 years, the NFL viewed black quarterbacks' brains as not as smart as white brains because of of racial essentially racial science that was bogus back in the 1800s that was uh, pervasive in white propaganda and creating a racial hierarchy and a racial caste system in America. So for 50, 60 years, that was essentially the way this went as the NFL, by the way, more proof of this fact last week, the NFL finally agreed to adjust their concussion lawsuit because they viewed black brains that suffered from CTE as less valuable than white players whose brains were suffering from CTE. This was actually a legal principle. The the law determined that this lawsuit was illegal because the NFL was paying less. I'm sorry, this lawsuit was discriminatory because the NFL was paying less money to black players with CTE than to white players with CTE. This is still existing to today and exists in industries outside of sports as well. But specifically when it comes to the the quarterback position and the quarterback being a thinking man's position and why we were screaming that Mac Jones is just not as good as the quarterbacks at the top of his draft class. I know Mac Jones played well this year, but Mac Jones is also a ridiculously low ceiling game managing quarterback. That was more an indictment of the other quarterbacks in the class than it was to Mac Jones actually being good. And so you see that the um, you see that with Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson was told uh, to be a wide receiver. Lamar Jackson was told in high school to be a wide receiver. Lamar Jackson gets to the NFL and people are calling him a running back. And Lamar Jackson's pointing to it like, yeah, there's racial bias in the NFL. Of course, there's still racial bias in the NFL. And he said in his quote, which was just a throwaway line after the fact is like, yeah, there's still racial bias. And that's why I need to win a chip. If he wins a championship, then it starts to go away. And that's that was interesting revealing Lamar Jackson. Like, I don't know if it was just a throwaway line from him or if that's how Lamar Jackson actually feels is that winning a championship will validate all of the um, you know, will deter or fight back against all of the stereotypes, or at least not winning a championship will validate the stereotypes. But Lamar Jackson like might not win a championship, and that doesn't mean Lamar Jackson is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. If Lamar Jackson just plays above average football for the next 10 years, he's going to make the Hall of Fame. And Lamar Jackson winning a championship or not winning a championship has nothing to do with the Lamar Jackson um, breaking down racial bias, because if you win a championship, white people probably still won't accept you. If they weren't going to accept you before winning a championship, as much as it changes the narrative for some sports fans, they probably weren't going to accept you over Patrick Mahomes, who's already won a championship, but plays uh, less of a stereotypically black game as we talk about Michael Vick and all of that stuff. It's really interesting to think about that and the mindset of Lamar Jackson. But of course, if anyone is going to believe this, Lamar Jackson should, because he is the most scrutinized athlete only behind Cam Newton, who, by the way, Cam Newton got crapped on all the time for being flamboyant, arrogant, you know, all of the things that are stereotypes of black people being expressive that makes white people uncomfortable and they don't want you to do that. 
the same things happen to Cam Newton that happened to Odell Beckham and they're happening to Lamar Jackson, where people are incredibly overly critical of them because they are too stereotypically black and it's absolutely fucked up. And people still don't view Lamar Jackson as one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the NFL. They're willing to put Joe Burrow and Tom Brady over him when yes, their teams win, but if not for Lamar Jackson getting hurt, Joe Burrow wouldn't have made the playoffs this year. And you still probably wouldn't have accepted Lamar Jackson unless Lamar Jackson makes a championship, but wins are not a quarterback stat. So that was a long way to talk about number three, which is why do y'all not see how special Lamar Jackson is? And by y'all, I mean other white people. Yes, I'm a white person, but I don't like to, when I talk about white people, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about white people who act, think, and behave stereotypically like white people. Anyways, that was a long third one. The fourth one that I wanted to talk about with Lamar Jackson is that Lamar Jackson is still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And one of the things he talked about was him and John Harbaugh tend to be on the same wavelength with a lot of this stuff. And that's part of what helps make Lamar Jackson stable in the NFL is that he was put in a great situation to succeed. All of the gifts were there for Lamar Jackson, but as we're seeing with Trevor Lawrence, and as we're seeing with Justin Fields or Sam Darnold falling apart, like just because the gifts are there, they can absolutely be mismanaged by these minor league franchises. Kyler Murray's in a similar boat where Kyler Murray has the character concerns that everyone's trying to smear him with to decrease his contract and he's willing to make the contract dispute public and negotiate in public for that reason but kyler murray and these quarterbacks that play for terrible franchises can have their careers derailed by poor management around them because they can only overcome so much lamar jackson being put in a position to succeed just like patrick mahomes being put in a position to succeed is an incredibly incredibly is incredibly interesting from an NFL draft standpoint because there have been players graded higher than Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. And Josh Allen is one of Mel Kuyper's top 10 highest graded prospects ever. So his is a slightly different case. But in those cases, they are not the most talented quarterback prospects ever. And while all of this may be correct or incorrect with time, from a pure talent evaluation standpoint, Mel Kuyper and draft analysts like I said earlier, there's an over-evaluation of these uh, quarterbacks and over-evaluation of draft scouting. There are, there are more people doing the scouting right now than there need be for figuring out who the best players are. There's always going to be things that fall through the cracks because it's never a perfect science, but there's just more people doing the analysis now the way that you know we get a, a top ranking list and there's general consensus of who the best players are. And yet we're going to see Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, not be some of the most talented prospects ever and still succeed because they're talented enough that when put in a situation to succeed or Andy Reid knowing exactly what he's looking for in a quarterback, when he says Patrick Mahomes is one of the greatest quarterbacks he's ever gone through the interview process for. And when he um, makes him write out plays, he's like, this guy is exactly who I want to run my offense. 
Um, Andy Reid does the talent evaluation of what he wants specifically better than Mel Kuyper or someone who's a draft scout who's a more general person. But all of that is about fit and things that separate from the barest minimum of difference between, say, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson. All of them are ridiculously special at what they do. All of them work incredibly hard and all of them have resumes that back up very similar statistical and very similar levels of success. Some of it is situation, some of it is fit, and some of those things just break the bank a little bit. That's how the Patriots build a dynasty unlike anything we've seen in North American professional sports is when you put the best coach ever with one of the best quarterbacks ever. Tom Brady's not the most talented quarterback ever, but when you put him with one of the best quarterbacks ever, you're going to get something special. It's why the Chiefs are going to dominate the sport for the next 15 years is because they have that special enough quarterback or, you know, as I like to say, maybe the greatest quarterback to ever pick up a football with the greatest offensive coach in the history of football. That perfect combination is what's going to dominate the sport. And Lamar Jackson has a perfect enough combination to dominate the sport, not to dominate the sport like the Chiefs, where they're just the most overwhelming thing I've ever seen, but to compete with the Chiefs. And if they just get stability everywhere else, like they haven't had the last two seasons, the Baltimore Ravens are going to be in the AFC championship every single year. Now, you can't get stability every single year as the Ravens are finding out right now. And as the Packers are found out in the past, Theron Rodgers and the 49ers have found out and the Chiefs will soon find out, I assume, with Patrick Mahomes. You can't get stability every single year, but you can get it more years than not. And so more years than not is what's going to get Lamar Jackson to be deep into the playoffs every single year, like Lamar Jackson should be every single year. And fit is a really fascinating concept that Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh, that that working relationship together was something they talked about on the shop. It's like the last five minutes. LeBron also had a really interesting quote about why he still cares about going out there and being there for the per- for the kid who wants who bought a ticket and this was the one or whose parents spent a bunch of money and this was their one chance to see him and he doesn't want to play. And you can be cynical about it. But Le- LeBron has always said this thing and I am fascinated because Paul Rivera asked him, "Why do you still feel that way 19 years later?" And LeBron kind of responded with like, "It's who I am." And I felt like that was semi-revealing because I know LeBron has said it before, but it's just something that he values and has held on to that value since he was a, a young player. I thought that was really fascinating on the shop as one final touch there. Also, Donald Glover, just kind of funny dude, really petty, apparently. Um, Donald Glover's kind of achieved pretty much everything in, in all sorts of different aspects. So I find him fascinating and talking about how you know, what I'm doing now is pretty similar to what they're doing. The job is still the job, but some people do it in front of 50 people like me or 150 people or 200 people. And some people do the job for millions of dollars because they just have a larger audience that they can sell. And it's really fascinating how that step up occurs. And I'm fascinated by how that journey is going to go for us. I appreciate each and every one of you supporting our dreams here. And, uh, This has been Wired Up episode 109. 
Uh, it's on YouTube if you want to watch the shop. I love this show just from a podcast with famous people because you sometimes get a, a glimpse into that window. But I just like podcasts in general. And this is a, a TV show that's just a conversation like a podcast that they happen to put with visual and audio or uh, sorry, visual and cameras and production quality and all that stuff. I really like telling stories. And I like when people tell stories, even if you want to be cynical and call them disingenuous. And I'm very cynical in this case, but I, I don't necessarily feel cynical towards this one and, and seeing the things Lamar Jackson and LeBron James and the, the girl from Abbott Elementary, and Donald Glover and Jay Balvin, Paul Rivera, Maverick Carter. It's a pretty good show. Don't not sure if they need more plugging from me in this small podcast, but I've been watching this show for a couple of years. It's pretty good. I like the the idea and the concept of basically a podcast with famous people being se- like talking about semi more transparent things, or at least the same things you would hear radio shows and TV shows and podcasts talk about anyways. So would recommend check it out. Also check out all of our stuff here on Take It Easy and. Uh, all the other work that I'm doing. I cover the Texans now. I cover the Cardinals now. It's a slow step up, ever so slightly, slowly but steadily. We are making gains. And uh, I appreciate each and every one of you for stopping in here today. We will be back again Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Friday with more episodes here on Take It Easy. Also, the first episode of Believe in Houston Texans is coming out. Uh, I also do the Slump Buster podcast. You can check that out with the link in this episode. Check out all that stuff. Have a great day, everybody, and take it easy.